Hello, everybody. This is Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, aka Bicycle Mark. It is December 18th, 2019, and I am in Boston, Massachusetts, United States, here for the yearly, the annual visit to Boston, the annual visit with Christopher Lydon, someone who, thanks to the world of podcasting, came into my life, and uh, it's part of my favorite end-of-the-year ritual to come here, and indeed, to record, to record. Chris is over there, somewhere, uh, here, I'm here at his apartment, and I'm, I'm here on the street side on a very, very cold Boston morning. There is some sun, but there's also snow on the ground, just a covering, there's ice everywhere, it's fun to go outside because it's an adventure. And I thought I would record a little bit, um, first of all, as an introduction, because what will happen next, I believe, is we'll be at the radio station, WBUR, here in Boston. Uh, we've been working on the show this week. I love coming here. Uh, I don't officially work for Radio Open Source. I'm a listener. But every time I come, I get to be a producer and uh, give my input, my thoughts, listen in, and edit uh, content for what will be the program that airs on Thursday on WBUR and, of course, on the podcast, Radio Open Source. So it's um, it's really nice to be here. It's it's also a bit of work, but it's work that I I enjoy, and uh, and honestly, work that I wonder couldn't I couldn't I do something like this professionally, and yet I never, not for any team like this, I never have. I've always sort of worked alone or loosely as part of a team where mostly I'm on my own submitting audio and asking for a little bit of help with guests, things like that. So being part of this uh, team while I'm here is, uh, it gives me a little taste of, of how it can be, and it always has, really. I've been doing this for Many years, I guess five years, six years. I don't know, but it's a great tradition. I took the bus up from New Jersey where I was with my family, and I will return there with a stopover in Connecticut to see my cousins. Uh, as many of you know, I'm Portuguese American, and I have just as much family here in the United States that, uh, uh, thanks to immigration in the 70s, um, plenty of people to visit, and, and of course, back in Portugal, hello to all my friends and family there, who I will not get to visit this December, but I will be there as soon as possible. Uh, that's the, the check-in for now, all is well, just busy, just, uh, you know, in the end of the year mode, and I think if we have time after the radio station, uh, everything goes well there, we'll record a little year in review, uh, yesterday, for whatever it really amounts to, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, was impeached. Uh, I am not a person that finds this interesting. I mean, it's it's interesting in the sense of, okay, it happened and it doesn't happen that often, but I don't find it uh, particularly cathartic or um, useful in terms of building a better world. Um, but, you know, people could argue and say, well, you know, no one is above the law. Fair enough, the man is still president, and I'm 95% sure he will remain president. And perhaps, yes, I would say he's going to be reelected. I don't see anything 
that indicates to me, based on my 40 years of experience, that um, that says that he won't. But yeah, I could. Uh, I love to be wrong. It would be good for the world if I were wrong. So that's something, I suppose. Uh, I've been wrong about many things in my life. So let's see how that goes. But it makes it an interesting day, I guess, or time to be in the United States. Um, but I really don't feel inspired by what's happening. Um, it it just doesn't move me. Sorry. I can see that it moves some people. They get very excited. And I think that's just a traumatized nation grasping at something. And I can understand that and respect it. Um, other things going on? Well, there's the, the US and there's Europe and there's Brexit and there's all these things, you know, but they're, they're always happening. It doesn't matter what year I come here. There's always some drama. And then, you know, we just kind of putter on, ooh, putter, putter on as a world. So I'm not saying nothing ever changes, but I'm also saying that change is not as quick as we think it is, uh, or we imagine it to be, and we're not so different from who we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, we're still the same people. We've just got more devices, and sometimes we think that we've come so far. Um, I don't know how far we've come. We've come somewhere, for sure. Anyway, uh, wherever you are, I hope you're well. I hope despite whatever obstacles this year that you have managed. Here comes a street cleaner, speaking of obstacles. The street is already pristine, but this street cleaner, I'm going to get closer. Just, you know, got to clean the, the nice neighborhood thoroughly. Um, so I'll leave you with the sound of a street cleaner, and hopefully next up we'll be at WBUR. Talk to you soon. So hello everyone, we're here in Boston, Massachusetts, United States. I, of course, am Bicycle Mark, Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. It's the end of 2019, and like all good years, especially over the last 10 years, the way I like to finish my year is I come here to Boston, uh, I come to Beacon Hill, and I come to see Christopher Lydon, and here he is. We're sitting at his dinner table Good morning, Chris. Uh, it's great to be back with you. Joy to see you, Mark. And we've had our McCann's Irish oatmeal, steel cut, and our fruit and our coffee, Pete's coffee, and let's go to it. This is a great moment in my year, too. So <laughs> it's uh, so we arrive here at the end of 2019, and for those listening, many people might even remember. Um, I hope it's 30 years from now that they're listening. But yeah, yeah, 20- a message in a bottle. The, the 2050 listener. Hello, 2050. Yeah. And it, it, it is something. Uh, 2019 is not a number that people, I don't even think at the beginning of the year, people were not excited going into 2019 necessarily. Yeah, but close to the end, it's the eve of 2020. Yeah. Hindsight. Um, and for me, I got to say, it, it's on my mind that my next birthday, I'll be 80 years old. Yeah. I feel a solid 29. Uh I know 29 is not the new 80, 80 <laughs> but I'm going to fake it. Sure. I hope it's, I'm going for 100. Yeah. But it is a moment to say, 
what the hell and where are we going? I feel it deep in my bones. It's strange. You don't feel these things until they're there and you're thinking, oh my God, I'll be 80. Impossible. But, but you know, it's interesting, Chris, because you and I, we, we have a connection. Uh, I've Since the first moment I met you uh, via voice, I felt this is a friend of mine. This mm. is someone who I understand and who understands me. Um, and interestingly enough, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yes, and you're you're about to turn eighty in the coming year. I just turned forty. Uh, wow, a, a week ago or or so. And you know, wow. I've always been interested in that idea of. I mean, I want to stay young because I want to I want to be active and all that. But right. but I've been very fascinated with the idea of you get older and you get wiser, and I really want to know what that's like. <laughs> um, you know, I, and and sometimes I feel it. Uh, you you meet someone who's 20 years old. I've I've met some very young people at your house over the years, and and I listen and I and I ask questions and and I think, oh yeah, no, I I do feel different than they do, or I do see things. It's a very interesting subject, <clears throat> wisdom, and to be blunt about it, I I feel I am wiser than I was, and I but I'm thinking about it all the time. I have three children, three grandchildren, sort of down to 10 years old. So I. And I work with a lot of younger people, but I don't know, you do think about that. I think continually now of um, how blessed I have been in music, in my reading, in my traveling, and I've done a lot of all of it. Um, but it's a wonderful thing to, I was thinking about it this morning. I've got to write something sort of serious, doesn't have to be terribly long, but about Duke Ellington. He hit all my life, all my conscious life practically since I was 13, 14. He has been my great hero, not just personal hero, but I think he's the most significant, most interesting, um, most expressively rich player in my world, cultural, political, anything, uh, all my life. And how's to sum that up? Um, Dostoevsky is the greatest writer I've ever encountered. Um, Henry James is close, but I think a lot of, uh, you know, not just wisdom, but sort of taste. It's a very gratifying thing as you get older to realize that, or to feel that the things you lock on, locked onto at 14, 15, and stuck with were really good, <laughs> um, really good stuff. And it's something like what you speak about knowing intuitively when we met, even before we met, this is a simpatico person doing interesting stuff. I want to get to know him, and I want to stay close to him yeah. as the years go by. So. Anyway, what are we saying? Yeah. Wisdom. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm getting to that point of assembling, just inadvertently, not precisely, but in my in my book collections, the books that will that really last. I mean, uh, the one big one I'm constantly on my mind that I have not read is Boswell's Life of Johnson. But you know, the great novels, including Kim and uh, all the Dostoevskys, all the Henry James. Um, but many, many more, uh, Les Miserables, and uh, now, now I'm stumbling because I'm... But it, but, it, it's funny how some of these things pop up in terms of importance. This week, you've been referring to Orwell quite a lot. Yeah, Orwell's yeah, been yeah. on your brain. Well, it's funny. <laughs> a, a scholar, Stanley Hoffman, um, who I knew well, uh, he was a sort of a poor man's Henry Kissinger, professor of international relations at Harvard, but... He, he remarked to me before his death, probably five years ago, that, um, and he'd read everything, he'd been everywhere, but Camus and Orwell were the great writers of his lifetime. 
in terms of observing the world, having pretty impeccable judgment, as it turns out. And um, I don't know Camus as well, but Orwell, my God, what what an eye, what a what courage, what simple declarative judgment on the world around him. We were joking about uh, his book, The Lion and the Unicorn, 1941. He wrote it in 1940 as, as the war approached. The opening line is incredible, uh, uh, and I'll misstate it, but it's something like, as I type, a uh, um, person of high education and civilization is flying overhead trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any rate, it, it's an inventory of effects of Englishness and that country. A very searching, interesting, funny, uh, long list, really, of what a class-ridden society is like, how it works. And um, anyway. Uh, it still that, holds true. That's what I found interesting. Or in some ways, it still well, holds true. Well, certainly the yeah. eye, you wish he were there to observe, mm. you know, um, Boris Johnson's England or Donald Trump's America. What right. the hell are we really like? Mm-hmm. He has this wonderful beginning when he talks about, um, you know, we're quite a notably non-artistic culture, with the exception of, the language and Shakespeare and Milton and and the gift a gift for an incredible range of poetry and prose, but you know we're not good at music. The Italians are infinitely better at visual expression, mm-hmm. etc. Um, French and German, this and that, um, and we 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 curse more than almost any society on earth. <laughs> this, this kind of thing, but uh, it'd be fun to look at. It. I, yeah. I, w- I want to ask you. I mean, uh, let's look at this world. 2019. Yeah. yeah. It is five full years that our public and private conversation has been totally overwhelmed and dominated by Donald J. Trump, a thoroughly uninteresting man, uh, a man of no cultural gift or belief or, you know, vision for this country or anything else. Um, how can this be? And yeah. how the hell are we going to get out of it in 2020? Only one way, and that's to vote him resoundingly out of office. But how do we bring back a culture of reasonable conversation, of accepted premises? I immediately jumped to the question, are we, were we, I should say, were we a culture of (laughs) reasonable conversations? There's a tendency with some evidence uh, that has led to that to say, the conversations, the the relationships within our this country and the world now have really deteriorated. And part of it is the spirit of a Trump and everyone else who's imitating mm. him or, or who is very similar to him. And I sometimes wonder, was it this person it's, uh, that, that changed everything or was this already in all of us? Uh, I, I don't go, obviously, as you can hear, I don't go with the idea that it's one person that created such a change. No, I, no, no, no. It's, no. The, it's the Trump is a symptom right. idea. Uh, he's a simple, He's a bubble in the ocean. The, the amazing thing, though, still is that that bubble is still floating, and we're still looking is, at it. It's more resilient than we ever understood. I, I, I certainly, a, yeah, speaking absolutely. for myself, I never understood. How this. does he keep it up? I mean, yeah. but no. First of all, yes, there is a conversation. There was one, mm-hmm. and I associate it with my father, mm-hmm. who I associate. It's odd. He had a sister. Sarah, a sort of third parent, she visited every Saturday evening into the night of my 
of my growing up. I mean, virtually without exception, it was always a thrill to see her. We hated to see her leave, but she was the conversation. And she and my father would have very serious conversations about uh, politics, about the New York, you know, what they're reading, uh, and everything. And it was sort of the Roosevelt generation. They worshipped Franklin Roosevelt for saving the country in world more the Depression than World War II. But yeah, definitely there was a standard. There were, you know, uh, Dorothy Thompson on the radio, Edward R. Murrow on the radio, uh, Eric, not Eric Sarveride, but there was a structure of reason that people uh, dealt with. Mm -hmm. Yes, it, it is bruised. I adamantly cling to the thought that it's still there. We haven't gone stupid all of a sudden. On the, but on the other hand, the standards are vastly more commercial, more basically meretricious. Yeah. Um, the the notion of sit up, Mark. You should be playing this music. You should be reading this book. You haven't got time for the junk of the world, which we heard constantly growing up. Mm-hmm. And you know, Harold Bloom is a sort of the high priest of that sort of thing. You do not have time in your life in three score and 10 to be reading the crap that most people are reading or even <clears throat> entertaining the thoughts or listening to the, the, the popular or classical entertainers. Um, hmm. The commercial culture has, has galloped into our world and marketing um, youth culture, dividing it a number of ways so that you're always entering something yeah. urgently new, all this sort of nonsense is, but my experience in media and we should talk about some of that. I yeah. want to hear yours again. Is that um, when you when you strike up a, a, a more sensible conversation, people respond and they know the difference. Mm-hmm. I, I would I would agree. I, we do know the difference, but it's true that standards have shifted. I don't know that they ever sh- move back. You know, if the mm-hmm. line moves in a certain direction, does it ever come back? Um, I think part of it is the way we consume our information. We've been talking about it for over a decade now. The you and I. the speed. Yeah. And and there's a larger conversation in in our world about sometimes we refer to social media, but we could also just refer to the speed of the internet. You know, there's we're moving towards 5G. Am I getting that right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And 5G is supposed to be a major change in our lives because it means that, well, you name it, everything that you now do on the internet, you'll be able to do even faster. Mm. You'll consume things even faster. You'll watch things and they'll come to you like that. No buffering. Goodbye to buffering. Mm. Uh, So those of you listening in 2015, buffering is occasionally we have to wait a moment for something. Mm. And I I, I don't exaggerate. Sometimes it's just a moment. Um, And that's an odd thing because years from now that will be seen as, wow, you had to do that takes so long. Mm. Now we get everything like that. Right. And we're moving towards that. We're already well into a world. I've been doing a lot of observing. I always tell you about it of the United States, Mm. uh, as I'm not a resident in this country now for for 17 years, going on 18 years. When I come to New Jersey to see my family, I'm observing suburban life, not only suburban life. My my parents are retired. I'm observing a lot of retired people. Um, When I go to Boston, I'm looking around at what in my mind is a place where a lot of it's a mix of very intelligent people. There's a lot of big institutions doing interesting things. And then, of course, there's the celebrated and, and legendary working class of Boston. I can still hear them if, if I open my ears. But mm. I'm watching everyone going, how's everybody doing? And what are they mm. doing? 
And of course, I was on the uh, the T yesterday on the public trans system, and I'm watching the thing we've seen for years. Everybody's got their face buried in a phone. There's nothing new about what I'm saying. It's not mm. unique to 2019, but it's interesting to me because I look at it as we're maturing, right? The internet is still quite young in the history of human right, brand uh, new, existence. Really. Yeah. And I find that because of its immaturity, especially in the beginning, we ourselves don't know how to handle it. We don't know quite what the standards are. And uh, we do whatever, whatever works, whatever. If, we're, if we feel like we need to touch the phone five times a day, we do. If we feel like we need to hold it all day long, people seem to. Um, there were no standards. It's not like, you know, wash your hands before we eat or uh, let's say grace or, mm. or you know, be polite uh, and, and all these sort of practices. We didn't have that on the internet. And that's what we see play out in social media. There's not, people have different standards. Uh, act civil, uh, listen to one another. That's mm. not necessarily a value. It's it's whatever, whatever works, whatever becomes a trend. And so when you look around at how people are using technology, I thought mm. 2019 would be a year where people might put it away more often, spend more time on a conversation because we've had a lot of years and a lot of studies mm. saying it's not getting us anywhere. I mean, so you and I did some interviews this week and we heard people say things like, yeah, Twitter is a nasty place. That, that's that been said for a few years now. And it's but not the real world. It's not, it's not the real world. Right. And not only that, but people are, what is it? They're irrational. That's not it. They're cruel. There's a cruelty. There's yep. a mob mentality. <clears throat> Competitively ugly, you could say. Yeah. And we worried about this, say, in 2015, 2016. But in 2019, it's, it's there. We can see it. And there's hardly any denying it. Um, mm. Of course, it's also a place where we still go. We watched a debate last night between people who 30 years from now, I don't know that we'll hear from them, but um, it's the democratic debate for, for this coming election. And uh, I saw our colleague Adam looking at Twitter to see how is this going? We, you know, if I ask you, how is that yeah. debate? You'll say that was pretty good. But then we look at Twitter. What are we looking for? How other people see it. Right? Yeah, how the public domain sees it. Um, so, can I dwell yeah. on the on the good news, so to Please speak, for a moment? Give it. For one thing, um, and you and I were in on the creation of the almost the birth of blogging and then podcasting. Um, it is kind of amazing and kind of wonderful that you, I, my grandchildren, can record, you know, speak their voice and be heard anywhere in the earth and or and and in the neighborhood. And it's true. It is actually true. When we when this first came over the horizon, we thought, "Holy mackerel! Everybody can be a broadcaster," mm -hmm. um, and it is true. And it is kind of wonderful. Second thing, um, we've managed to support ourselves as a radio show podcast for more than fifteen years now, and it's a struggle, but it's it's a happy struggle, mm -hmm. and and it ought to be a, some effort. Um, third thing. This is just me speaking, but um, I have grandchildren and kids who are clearly vessels of the old culture. And, you know, the youngest in the lot, my grandson Henry, is a, he's 10 years old. He's going to be a superb baseball player. He's going to be a superb pianist. To me, the piano special, well, both, no, both equally. This is the best education you can possibly have. Mm -hmm. Teamwork, per, you know, Batting skills, throwing skills, <laughs> loving it, running, uh, 
being able to compete in that language, uh, there's nothing better in our American culture, in my opinion. Plus, classical musical training, I always think of Yehudi Menuhin. He, he built a whole school around it. He thought it was, if you could learn to play chamber music, play Bach, say, or Mozart, or any of the great music, you are connecting with people, with history, with your fingertips, with your inner dreams. It, it, is, a, it is a complete education. And that is not going to peter out in my family. I just plain know it. Yeah, that is very encouraging. Also, I would say that when, in the case of Henry, who had, a, I think, a good 2019, he can read people, which is a, a fantastic oh, skill. And he can talk to people. He yeah, can charm people. Yeah, he can yeah. learn from people. He can yeah. remember people. Yeah. Um, so by no means... That exists too in this world. Yeah, and all is not lost. Also, I think um, <laughs> you know, somebody, this is just one little tiny note Mm. Of of our yesterday, but we prepared a program with uh, a, a British commentator on the British election and what the effect could be on ours. Um, we were preempted on live air by the Democratic debate, but and somebody tweeted instantly, uh, oh, yeah. "You have a program for ideas, and you're being uh, eclipsed by <laughs> a, a party without ideas." Uh, on the but contrarily. I was really impressed by those Democrats, and I'm yeah. not a knee-jerk Democrat. Mm. I, I'm I'm a sort of I was I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. I I've never voted for a Clinton or a Bush for that matter. Mm -hmm. I, I'm certainly not an automatic Democrat. Uh, but that was an impressive lineup of human beings. If if that was the board of your company, mm. you'd be well served. You know, Andrew Yang, Bernie Sanders, uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren, yeah. uh, Pete Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. Bud Pete yeah. Buttigieg, even Joe Biden. I mean, these are serious people yeah. of experience and real dedication to something uh, precious in in our country and even in public conversation. So, there is anyway, good news. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's good news. Um, it introduces this question that we puzzled about: Is this this dread hanging over our world in this moment? You know. An extreme separation of class and privilege and power and money for one. The, the climate catastrophe that could be at hand, the eternal war and the forces that keep it going and want it to keep going. Yeah. All of these incredibly burdensome facts of our world. Do we exaggerate them? Is there a kind of hysteria about it? Mm. Uh, we were joking about, you know, you drive to Western Massachusetts, drive them the length of the Mass, Mass Turnpike. And you land up in the in the Berkshires, mm -hmm. heavenly, you know, <laughs> pine woods of New England on the on the edge of New York State. Whenever I'm there, I think, you know, climate crisis. Forget about it. It's just a rumor from from a few smart <laughs> how did, people. How did humanity not destroy that place? What? How, well, wow. <laughs> no, the point. No, but the the Earth is resilient. So much mm. of it is still awesomely. Beautiful and challenging. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't, I don't believe there's no crisis at all. No, no, right, right. But when you wonder how close, who's doing it? Yeah, well, I, yeah. It, it won't, it won't swallow the world in my lifetime. Yeah. But um, part of the problem is that we don't, we don't know. I mean, these are unknown, known unknowns, and and then behind them the unknown unknowns. Um, yeah, that's where we live right now. Though is in a in a in a culture and an atmosphere of 
huge anxiety. Yes, yes. And then yesterday, uh, I think it was Yang that got the edge by saying, or at least in this area, he said, you know, we're more medicated than we've ever been. And uh, we have more insecurity than we've ever had in terms of jobs. And and he sort of laid it out as he does right. with numbers and statistics. But um, it's true that, you know, 2019 is again a year where insecurity, and I'm not talking about uh, the, the now infamous war on terror. You know, if we were talking in 2002, mm. we would have talked about that and we probably you probably did, but um, but I'm talking about the insecurity of what's going to happen next year. Um, you know, can I retire? And if I do, how will I pay for food? Um, but also regarding the people around you, right? My partner, mm. my children, will they be okay? And that's partially because we're not in the world anymore, and every day less so, of jobs for life or um, a security net or blanket that you know yeah. is going to be there. You just don't know. You know, the, there's big discussion in 2019, like the last few years, for some kind of healthcare in the United States that would cover everyone. I live in the Netherlands where they've moved from healthcare that covers everyone to healthcare that can and will cover everyone. But in the meantime, you should choose an insurer. It's a, it's a mixed system with guarantees. Mm. But even in Europe, that is often touted as a more secure place, I can absolutely confirm there is tons of anxiety, the same kind, about what is going to be here in a few years for me. Mm. Um, can I keep doing what I'm doing? Some people are, are taking it to, to taking to it like a fish in water. They love the insecurity in the sense of they move from job, they move before they can get fired, they move before the company can can close. It's a it's a new breed in a way, but it's still a nervous breed. Uh, it's it's that's you know. But you remind me of the I th associate with Henry David Thoreau. Certainly not him alone, but that um, it was ever thus, truly ever thus. Mm. We're, we're an anxious species, and there's every reason to be anxious, whether it's a bear coming out of the woods mm -hmm. um, or death or uh, every kind of accident that was much more challenging, much, well, every kind of human cruelty. Uh, but his basic line is that uh, get busy, Homer did not have a more interesting scene in front of him to paint uh, than we do. And mm -hmm. it's it's eternally a question of getting out there, seeing it for real, describing it, making some um, mark for oneself. And I, I'm much more of that mood. No, there are endless challenges, but we've got to go out and clarify them. But let me toss it back to you. Yeah. 2020, we will learn something about the United States of America Mm. Uh, and how do we want to affect it? What do we want our own voices to be saying in this in this storm? Do you have a notion yet? Well, uh, in terms of... I'm thinking of us as podcasters, us as journalists, interviewers, travelers. I am still... I still have some faith uh, and definitely interest in being able to talk to people who have never spoken to me before, and perhaps even people who normally aren't interested in what I'm interested in, but might might listen. It's a very difficult time for it. There's this, this thing, the internet has, has led to some of that, where you can consume what you like, and you can never see the other stuff. 
You can hear what you want to hear, mm. which can be a beautiful thing. We, you and I have, we play DJ back and forth. You play a, a tune that I should hear and I do love them. And I play a tune that maybe you should hear. And, right. and this can be a we're great both, thing. We're both keen on Corey Henry this morning. Yes. Yeah. But, and but the organ. The yeah, absolutely. But we very much live in a world when it comes to daily consumption of information that has been customized so that you never hear from someone who is in some ways different who doesn't agree with you perhaps, right. or was just talking about a topic that isn't your thing, right? Your, your, your niche. And I'm still hoping, and now it's fun to talk to people who want to listen and who know you already, but I'm still hoping to be able to speak with people who don't know me. And maybe if it came down to it, don't agree with me when I'm giving my opinion. Uh, but I'm, I think we need that. Uh, I don't know, on the other hand, how to do it. Uh, I know that I'm just going to keep asking my questions and keep exploring from my interests and try to leave the door open because we're living in a world where there is so much, even though we live next to each other, we consume completely different things. This is an acute feature of our world now that um, people, as you say, cheek by jowl, one apartment next to another, are, are tuning in on entirely different public conversations. And um, I... I I like the fact that we're waking up to it. To me, it's all wrapped up, and this may be just a personal hang-up about the New York Times. I worked there for eight years, covered politics, presidential candidates, uh, wrote big stories, and I think they've gone out of their mind. I mean, I think they've literally lost a grip on reality, hmm. mainly associated with uh, George Bush's, George W. Bush's uh, selection by the Supreme Court. He was not elected by the people. Uh, he, he took us into the worst imaginable uh, blunder, you know, militarily, diplomatically. We're still bleeding, destroyed a country um, for no good reason, metastasized into Afghanistan. The war is still going on. It's just a total nightmare. And the New York Times has never recognized it. Mm -hmm. Endorsed the war, never asterisked his election, um, and... Basically, he's still this kind of patrician American. No, he's he's a dunce. We're, <laughs> we've got an impeachment proceeding against Donald Trump. I, th I say, I mean, I started a lot of conversation with saying George W. Bush was a consequentially much worse president than Donald Trump, and you guys are still married to him. This is nuts. <laughs> More so now. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he, he was, he was bad. <laughs> good old Yale skull and bones. Yeah. Uh, we missed those days. Yeah, <laughs> baloney. <laughs> those and were terrible days. Yeah, so, yeah. but in any event, Inside, it's funny, I'm a landlord, and my best tenants are uh, basically construction guys who do building services around Beacon Hill in the back bay, and they are tuned to an entirely different yeah. message. Yeah. They were Trump from the beginning, because basically because they could see through the, the Clinton and even Obama sort of phony dial, you know, conversation yeah. about where the world was, and... Um, sort of protest that establishment, the money establishment, the Wall Street establishment, but also the war establishment uh, that didn't hesitate to smash Libya, Afghanistan, all and allied with the, with the Saudis and smashing Yemen. What? There's absolutely no defense, plausible mm -hmm. defense of, of this, not only each war, but a country that has its main business in making arms, distributing them, and using them around the world. Yeah. Anyway, so... We have these different kinds of fundamental split consciousness in our world. Mm. 
That, to me, is, is, is part of the great drama of 2020. Will we come to uh, understand that? Yeah. Um, it's happened again in, in England just in the last day or two, and we've been talking about it a lot on the radio and otherwise. Um, this kind of Boris Johnson, another sort of almost unimaginably vulgar, unrespectable uh, person, and I have no defense of him, and yet... At the same time, it's part of the dissolution, a kind of nervous breakdown of British establishment politics, right and left. I don't know whether this is getting worse or better, but we'll know a lot more about it at the end of 2020. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that's the thing as well. This is we we forget it, and I feel it when I'm here in the U.S. You forget, uh, although there is a discussion between us about the U.K., but you forget how common this phenomenon is now around the world. I mean, Hungary battles with a a horrid, and for me, a horrid right. uh, uh, politician in India. charge of the country. India has Modi, and 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 I, I mean, some people love both these people, obviously, because they vote for him, and and these people are, I think, even, I think. Um, serving multiple terms in some cases. Uh, so this is not a U.S. phenomenon. This is a mm. global phenomenon. This was the year that Bolsonaro uh, became president of Brazil, and he openly talks about all kinds of crazy uh, ways of dealing with and, and handling uh, corruption in society. But uh, We have uh, in, in the Philippines uh, Duterte, who openly, I think, has gone with the police and shot people, or at least he talks about it. And this is a violent leader of a country, and people get excited by it. It's a strange kind of reality TV show. Mm. There were there were eighties movies about this idea, right? That uh, what was it? Uh, Running Man with Schwarzenegger, which is a game show where you put prisoners and they have to go through a gauntlet that basically tortures them, if not murders, if they get the wrong, go the wrong direction in the maze, they die, and the audience cheers because it's exciting and they're criminals and. That was a strange 80s horrible movie, but there's so much of that 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 seems to be coming forward in our societies. This sort of yes, make him president and 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 these yeah. these extreme reactions to disappointment and yeah. You you're provoking me though, Mark. <clears throat> you're provoking me to throw out a little more good news. Yeah. Uh tentatively, but a couple of things and it actually includes the New York Times. There are these politically correct conversations emerging, um, but I take them seriously. I mean, the, the whole Me Too experience uh, has, has has been very, very mixed from my standpoint. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a real scorn for due process, a lot of loose accusation, some of it 30, 40 years old. Uh, forget that we don't remember that re memory is unreliable, blah, 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 and a mass suspicion. But in it, there is kind of assertion or it's, happening in the same moment right. of uh, female dignity, women's careers, girls' careers, girls' expectations, girls' possibilities, um, that is it's going to be profoundly good. However, even more in my observation, the conversation about race in this country is actually getting traction with reality. And I mark a lot of it by the New York Times Magazine in August of this year, called 1619. And it's basically uh, meant to provoke the argument that, no, the country was not born on Plymouth Rock in 1620 when, you know, English religious dissenters found a new land of liberty. Mm. Uh, no, it was founded a year earlier when another English boat landed 20 or so African slaves 
on the English colony of Virginia. Okay, we are being led, pushed, not forced, but invited to rethink that story. And I find an awful lot of people are ready to hear it, ready to talk about it, ready to see um, African-Americans in this country, even thoroughly assimilated uh, and maybe intermarried African-Americans, as having been through one of the horrendous experiences of human history and survived. I'm also very much struck by the vitality of black people, black women, brown and black women in the remaking of this culture. And I pray for it every day. It's, it's a beautiful thing. We see it in politics. We see it in sports, obviously. We see it in literature. Mm. We see it in journalism. This, oddly enough, this um, Nicole Hannah Jones, who was the spear point of the New York Times magazine Drive, uh, we've come to know and interview and met. <coughs> She's a remarkable force. I, I said to her, and I wasn't trying to just butter her up, she's a journalist of David Halberstam proportions mm-hmm. and Cy Hirsch energy and drive and conviction and care and skill. And it's a wonderful thing to behold that we are uh, coming to terms with with the reality of our history, reality of our country, the reality of people. Yeah. So uh, throw that out as another... Definitely. And, and, and you mentioned, you know, that even in the audio space, podcasting, the, the number of programs, for those that can find them, that know about them, which is not an easy right. thing these days, but um, there are so many programs on talking about the very subjects that you just brought up, um, bringing the actual stories of people who uh, are either historians or have had experiences of their own more recently, and especially when it comes to women in in different situations in our our society. So there is this conversation that takes place, um, and and it's not always in a Mm. sort of back alley of some section of the internet sometimes no. it's it's prominent yeah. uh it, it's it's yeah these things also exist i've seen them i've listened to them yeah you remind me though of just a marker i want to put down i'm sort of hoping and expecting that there may be fewer podcasters when we have this conversation a year from now that i mean there are, people say five six seven eight hundred thousand podcasters now um i i yeah. I, I have a poet in my circle uh, who complains that everybody's writing poetry, but nobody's reading it. They don't even <laughs> read each other's poetry. Yeah. There's a bit of that phenomenon among podcasters. You're so busy putting it out that you don't really take it in. We saw it with blogs too, right? So much yeah. yeah, yeah. But there's got to be uh, a, what to say, I think affiliation, grouping of, and, and then somehow direct, not a directory, but... Um, some connection, more like a magazine in which, um, you know, the magazines we grew up on, say The Atlantic or the Reader's Digest, uh, is, is, a, is a collection of people all in the same language, roughly speaking, but a diversity of voices under one general rubric, or mm. it could be an aviation magazine or a wooden boat magazine, but yeah. different perspectives in some range of sympathy. Without the New York Times um, lockstep mm. opinion mm-hmm. or, you know, a, a sectarian magazine. Anyway, we, we've got to make more sense of the incredible diversity in this little sport we're, right. we're playing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm excited for it's happening uh, to some level. I've, I've seen progress uh, in the way of 
more of the world being involved. Now, part of what divides us in the world of online media is language, which I think is a pity. Um, a lot of websites, a lot of directories, if we talk about podcasts, separate it based on language. And I think that's very narrow-minded. I could be someone who speaks English, but also speaks Spanish. Let me see the podcasts that are also in Spanish. Matter of fact, mm. let me see all the podcasts, <laughs> if you can create such a directory. I'll decide what language yeah. I speak. Even if I don't speak the language, I'll decide if I want, just want to listen anyway. One of my great hacker buddies, Emmanuel Goldstein in New York, publisher of 2600, he used to collect radio programs. He would record them when he was in the country as he traveled. He didn't speak any of those languages, but he liked listening. He liked hearing the style. And, and I, I want to keep that right. And a lot of the technology and the sort of, in the name of convenience, thought and created systems that skip that part for us. Like here, you don't have to see all those languages you don't speak. No, I'm interested in tools, and, and maybe we need to demand it as users, that say, no, the whole world is my choice, like for me to listen to and communicate with. Just because I live in Boston doesn't mean mm -hmm. I should only hear from people in Boston. Let me see, let me hear, give me that, that openness. So I'm, it's an interesting thing that's happening. There's a company that I've learned about and I'm still not sure what I think of them, but the whole Himalaya uh, media here, which is owned by a Chinese company. Right. And I went reading about that, and it's a man in China who's not quite Jack Ma, but he's up there. And he says podcasting, his network in China is huge. And I wondered, what's it's podcasting vast. like in China, though? Uh, can you say anything you want? Or maybe you just self-censor. I have no idea, People but I'm curious. sort of rules. But I've been there, and I've been there... In, in a, on a visit to Himalaya, or Shimalaya, as right. it's known in China. I, I, I get to the point where I ask any Chinese person, show me your phone, do you have Shimalaya on it? The answer is always yes. It's bigger than iTunes. It's bigger than anything. Um, maybe not bigger than Facebook, but... What's the sound? Conversations? The, what I heard of it was a comedian. We met this man. I couldn't tell what was funny or what he was after. I think it was... Should we say safe, not political humor? Maybe Will Rogersy, um, but there was also books, music. The funny thing about that man who started, he has very high aspirations for podcasting as an educational tool. Right, and there's something high-minded about it. It's not, it's not aiming at liberation personally. Um, certainly not from a five-member ruling board of of everything, yeah. but. Um, no, I find it interesting. But let me let me toss it back to you. This is standing start. Um, what should our ambitions be? What are yours for 2020? Things you want to do differently? Ways you want to bend this medium to some memorable direction? For me personally, I want to go back in a way, you were saying, you know, when you were 16 or 13, you had some, there was something you liked or you had an idea. That was a good idea. That was something. That <laughs> Discovery now that it was a good idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I've had a period of time, partially because of the boom of podcasting, where I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, I need to sound more like fill in the blank, show that is successful, mm. show that has many listeners. I, I thought, no, you know what? For a long time, I just did things my way. No, no, I need to see what's popular and adjust. I've changed my mind. <laughs> I felt better, and that's perhaps the most important thing, when I did shows based on how I felt from the heart. 
Um, that could be interviews. They could be me going somewhere talking on my own. But I'm I'm not afraid anymore, and I want to keep to this to pursue that which moves me uh, first and foremost, and present it in a style that may not be, they may not match the number one podcasts in this world or, or in mm. whatever directory. Um, and that means human stories of always, but that that's not new. But I'm not going to be worried if someone hasn't published. Uh, many books or isn't a famous name that's going to bring in people. I'm going to stick to my guns when it comes to I see great value and beauty in talking to someone who just has an interesting experience, a unique experience, um, is fun to talk to, perhaps. Uh, I want to stick to that. I think that it may not be seen by everyone or heard, more like, but uh, I feel it. And and let's go from there. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's part of what I want to come back to in 2020. It's a great goal. You were speaking of a man you met in Amsterdam, who had, <laughs> who who walks the beach and picks up not only all sorts of flotsam and jetsam, but specifically bottles with messages in yeah. them. And yeah. he's got a huge collection. And now there's an interesting what a happy su- guy su- subject. <laughs> well, that's an incredible treasure to, for you to have found. Yeah. And congratulations. The problem is a lot of people who want to talk and think they're eccentric uh, are just plain tiresome and lonely. True. Um, so True. <laughs> what is it? I'm trying to think. It's what, a risk. What I'd really like to do, um, I would like to find more frequent ways of doing exactly what you're talking about. Talk to people who aren't listened, aren't heard. Mm-hmm. My brother Patrick in Ireland has cultivated over the years what he calls the wisdom of uneducated people. Farmers especially, farmhands, travelers, um, they're the treasures. I'm, I, maybe it's the only resource left in the sense that I'm finding, and specifically in Boston and Cambridge where we talk about it a lot, what's so smart about these Harvard and MIT people? I'm not sure. And they have lost, ca- they have lost cast in my lifetime hmm. when they used to be great revered experts. I mean, what mother, happened? I don't know. My mother, um, scrambled into Harvard University as a teenager and never forgot George Lyman Kittredge, who was the great editor of Shakespeare for all the world. And we read his texts, you know, his editions. Um, but she heard, you know, he was her teacher. John Livingston Lowe's. They all had three names, you know what I mean? But um, those people were revered authorities and I think they're gone. Um, I think of Growing up when Arthur Schlesinger, the historian, John Kenneth Galbraith, the economist, were sort of everyday wise men because they taught at Harvard and they wrote well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure who those people are anymore. Um, and I, I also, when you find them, you want to challenge them. But I don't know, we've got to find another kind of expertise because certainly in Trump time, um, the great names of, of the academy have been marked way down. So... Is it because they're at a loss for what to say about, the, among other things, this? I think so. I think so. And also, <laughs> yeah. in some fashion, we're all at a loss because we didn't see this coming. Right, right. We, we knew that a, that a country that was eternally at war, living on the cues from Wall Street and military intelligence, um, and that was conspicuously less attended to poor people, needy people, they were out of the conversation as well as out of the money. Uh, somebody should have, you know, yeah. Pull the alarm and yeah. said, and 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 really challenged the Clintons, especially for their smug thing about 
the world's getting better and better and we're helping. I mean, my caution on that, to give credit, was Tony Jutt, who was a, um, a historian of Eastern Europe. He was Jewish from Eastern Europe, but grew up and came to flower in England and got his education in England and then taught at New York University. But anyway, he wrote a lot of books, including post-war, uh, called Post-War. And finally, he was dying of Lou Gehrig's disease, and he dictated an incredible wor- a book called Ill Fares the Land. It was basically Ill Fares the Land that worships money, fundamentally, but also that is losing our public conversation, as he observed we were doing. And it was also selling off its social democracy, its welfare state. He was a child of uh, public transportation, public education, public health in England growing up. And he could see it all being sold off. And that was a sort of wake-up call for me. It's still my wake-up call. Uh, he saw all of those trends of mental health, poverty, inequality getting worse uh, in his time. He died about 10 years ago. And um, the process continues. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's one of the questions, you know, can 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 this world that you just described, which is still, a lot of that is still true, as you said, the process continues, can it change its path? I mean... Well, I think it's being forced to see, Mark, this is the important thing, that uh, the people who told you, you know, uh, every day and every way we get better and better, were just, they were just not only wrong, but they were maliciously Mm. taking our eye off the ball. And Mm. here we are with a, could be terminal... Climate crisis, but also a social crisis sure. and a military crisis. And in our time, this is what really burns me. We have become the country that tortures. Sure. We have become the country that, that and kills doesn't hide it anymore. vast <laughs> numbers of civilians and yeah. doesn't count yeah. the dead. No. Uh, something very, very ugly has transpired yeah. on our watch and we're going to be held responsible for it. Yeah. And, and I mean, going back to 2019 and, and th- things that we might want to know in our message in a bottle, uh, for me, I'm one person, uh, this year has reminded me, and I've not gone to China, but I have been going to Africa a lot, East mm-hmm. Africa, and in my conversations with people who are traveling to China and back, living in China, coming out to Africa, coming to Europe, we used to talk about the future where the center of the world is going to be in China. And I'm telling you, in my opinion, in 2019, the center of the world is China. And what I mean by center of the world, wow. it's the seat of power when it comes to, unfortunately, because our world is so much built on money, money, but also capacity to make things happen, whether it's infrastructure, mass projects for related to social uh, situation. I think we're already there. And it's funny because we were so used to talking about a future where China is going to be this, is going to be that. I say 2019, China is the center of the world. We just don't notice necessarily. You'd have to be in certain places. But I feel it when I'm in Africa. Mm. <laughs> yes, I just said that. When I'm in Africa, I feel that China is the center of the world because you see who's there as the the the, the power that is providing either money, resources, know-how, helping build countries, and I say helping with a small H um, because there's lots of um, reasons for that. There's lots mm. of deals being made. It's not the United States. Uh, that time is over. Uh, and it didn't end with Trump. It was already mm. over, but but he really pushed it further. And I don't know what that'll look like in 30 years. I don't think it will look the same. I hope we're here to record it. Yeah. Th- three last points for me, yeah. uh, bearing on that before we're done. A, 
when I'm in Africa and not enough, I feel this is kind of the hope of humanity. This is where both uh, the faces, the walk, the manner, the open-heartedness, mm. the music tells you this is what the human species was designed to talk like, be yeah. like. Second, I think you're right about China. We haven't mentioned, though, we'll take this up a year from now, yeah. China, where the, the famous, infamous Dr. Hu uh, edited the genome oh, of yes. yeah. twins, embryonic twins, ostensibly to prevent them from ever being vulnerable to the AIDS uh, virus. Mm. And uh, But he, he raised the curtain on, and we'll check in a year from now, uh, on the amendment yeah. of the human species. Yeah. The fundamental premise is that the human species is not good enough. We've got to <laughs> tweak it. Yeah. We've got to play with the genes. We'll prevent this disease or we'll make sure everybody's six feet tall or whatever. Mm. But there's a dream there. We had a wonderful glimpse in the in the fate of Jeffrey Epstein, too, of how neurotic and dangerous a dream it is yeah. and how it, it, it veers toward extremes and maybe even driven by fantasies that you're going to repopulate the earth with your seed or yeah. something like this. Yeah. Um, so we got to come back to that about China. Mm. And But third, Mark, I just got to say, it is such a joy to know you and to be <laughs> in the same game with you, to see you regularly, yeah. to feel your energy, your curiosity, your, your tech know-how, but also your confidence about using it to do something interesting and good mm. for us in the world. I mean, I feel such intense... Uh, kinship with you in this exploration and thrilled to know that I'm going to be 80, you're going to be 40, and that's at least 20 more years. You got it, man. Okay. Let's do it. Here's 2019 and all the things we we love about it or have loved about it and, uh, and who knows, 2020, I mean... See you in 2020. Exactly. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mark. <laughs>